Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to be with you, everybody. It is Monday, March 20th, 2017. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals, certainly not professional <laughs> radio people, but for by mortgage professionals, for mortgage professionals, and we're thrilled that you are making this a part of what you, the way you get information about what's going on in the industry. I mean, I said, look at it. It's a really good tool. I go watch, listen to my own podcast because of the content, and it's because of all those that are participating in it. So I want to say a special thank you at the top of the program to Alice, Joe, Andy, uh, Sam, uh, Paul Mullen, and virtually all the hot topic guests that we have on here, but thank you all for your contribution to this program. It is amazing how fast this continues to grow at, the rate it continues to grow at. So it's really good. We appreciate you being here. Our hot topic segment today, we've got Ari Karen with us, with Ovik Kerman. He's CEO also of Strategic Compliance Partners, and will be bringing us some legislative announcements, talking about some things about that are going on out there, his perspective on that always interested in Ari's perspective on where we see things going, especially with this new administration. What can we anticipate? What about, you know, with the PHH case? Where is that taking us? What's going on with the agencies? I mean, we've got a really jam-packed hot topic segment, and I'm so excited to have my good friend Ari Karen on the program with us. Have you been watching any of the March Madness? I tell you, the level of play, I'm talking about the basketball tournament, the high school basketball tournament, it is amazing. The level of play is over the top. And I'm looking at the professionalism, the, the just all-outness of these teams. They do not quit. And what I'm finding, for those that struggle, you know what I always like? I really like listening to the interviews after the fact. What they're saying is, is where they stumble is oftentimes at the basics, at the very foundational things, and for whatever reasons. So that's one of the services that I provide is the business process improvement, doing a ton of that work, and I'd love to talk to you about it. But we're really here to help you with information, what's going on in the industry. So I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the innovator, the, the, the creator of the innovative new RateStar program, Motivity Solutions, providing real-time reporting and dashboard and scorecards, as well as Velma, an efficient marketing and email platform, helping you get your message out and simplify a real-time electronic communication exchange and mortgage collaborative, the power of the network, and, of course, DNH, which is moving your world forward through technologies. Did you see the announcement on DNH? They're being acquired by, by Vista, by a private equity firm out of the UK, and they're being combined with another company. So a lot is going on there, big announcements. 
big investment by this company. I mean, if you saw the announcement, uh, they're both a client and an advertiser. So I have a lot more information. I'm not sure what I can share other than it is really exciting to see some of the developments there at DNH. They bought the whole company, taking it private, combining it with a company that's got real strong services and uh, banking services in Europe with no presence here. So when you combine these two companies, I tell you, this is really going to be quite something. You're going to have a global company with a lot of capital behind them. And so exciting days ahead for DNH. Congratulations to our friends there. Again, I've already thanked Alice, Joe, Andy, Paul, Sam, and the crew for being here regularly, but I do thank you again. Let's take a look at the NBA conferences that are coming up. We have March 26th through the 29th, the national, um, NBA's National Technology uh, Conference in the Hyatt Regency at Chicago. We'll be doing a radio program there from the D&H booth. Excited to be with them. Also, I'll be speaking at the New York NBA Conference. I'm a keynote speaker there doing a couple of training sessions. Very excited about that conference. That is in Albany, New York, 4th through fourth and 5th. And then we are going to be back at the end of the month. We're going to be at the National Secondary Marketing Conference at the end of May. Also, just some of the other things that are coming up. There's so many conferences that uh, we'll be going to and speaking at, uh, but the National Secondary Conference is the next one after the tech conference for the MBA. Encourage you to check out these conferences, folks. There is so much information at these conferences, and a good number of them are. The MBA wants me to be doing more and more radio podcasts from these programs so or from these conferences. So we're thrilled to have the opportunity and the open door. Well, let's open the door to Joe Farr of MBS Quote Line, giving us an update on everything going on with the markets. Hey, Joe, how are you, friend? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, we're up a little bit today. Uh, can't say it, uh, nothing really to point to other than uh, several Fed speakers have been out and the messages have been sort of mixed and the market's been reacting both in both directions. But right now we're up 3.30 seconds and... Uh, uh, you know, one of the things that, that is beginning to get a lot more attention, Dave, and we've talked about it in the past, is the balance sheet. And, uh, you know, uh, Fed Chair Yellen's talked about it. The minutes talk about it as being uh, something that they will uh, basically begin to, to reduce once they have normalized rates. And, and finally, we're starting to get some definition of what that might be. And it seems like it might be after two more rate hikes. And so... Uh, you know, getting close to it, and when that when they start making some concrete decisions about that, I mean, the speculation is going to create some volatility for a while. But concrete uh, reaction or concrete uh, positions on the balance sheet are likely to have a, a pretty significant effect on on the market when they first become known. So, uh, always something to keep in mind. Um, and boy, we have seen some volatility lately. I w- wanted to go back to. Uh, basically, when the Fed began telling the market to be aware of more rate increases, uh, it began on February 20, uh, 27th, I think. On February 24th, we reached about one of the highest points of the year in MBS prices, lowest in rates. And that Monday after that, Fed, the Fed speakers started coming out. They started talking about rate hikes and, and the, the need for the market to be aware that they were going to happen uh, maybe at a fa- faster pace than than what uh, they had built into their plans, and MBS prices fell by uh, two 
200 basis points between February 24th and March 14th. Rates rose about a quarter of a point. It was not only the Fed speakers telling the market that, but the data also came in stronger than uh, in many cases what was expected. But certainly strong data helped support the Fed's argument to uh, be a little more aggressive about raising rates. And then on the 15th, when the Fed meeting occurred, we saw a bit of a rally. Uh, the result, I think, of the fact that the, the Fed minutes only revealed two more rate hikes after the fifth, after the March rate hike, uh, only two more rate hikes in 2017, and, and the market had quite frankly begun to believe that there might be more than that. And so there was a bit of a relief rally. Both the stocks and bonds improved after that, and that 25 basis point rise in rates, uh, we got back about 10 basis points in, in a drop in rates. So uh, still not where we were before all the Fed speakers started giving us uh, the warnings, but uh, nice to see some of it be recovered. Uh, during the week, last week, uh, the inflation data did reflect that uh, that inflation is moving toward the Fed's target. The, the data pretty much expect, uh, matched expectations. Uh, retail sales showed a very nice uh, number. The growth rate was small, but that was because it was coming off of very, a very big January. And the fact that we had such a big January and, and we grew it all in February was uh, was a positive thing. Uh, then the home builder confidence came out, uh, highest in over a decade. I don't know if you saw that, Dave. And both uh, housing starts, yeah, really housing great. starts, and building permits rose to the best levels since uh, 2007. So uh, uh, that that inventory shortage that we've been experiencing may have some relief here, but uh, certainly builders aren't going to build enough to eliminate that shortage. So um, still going to be an issue. And then let's yep. look at the the week ahead. Not a lot on the calendar this week. Go ahead. Yeah. I was looking at your at your uh at your website again so concise you know just not a lot here other than existing home sales which is a rear view mirror I mean I guess new home sales will be interesting but yeah new home sales real will, be, light wing. will be interesting yeah uh yeah. durable orders but the big thing this week Dave is going to be fed speakers just about every day this week uh there are multiple fed speakers coming out and uh they are likely to create some volatility Wow, yeah. Every time they speak, they they have a tendency to really have their comments can have an impact on the market. And what are we expecting? I mean, how it seems like there's been more hawkish tone, more of them split over to the hawkish department uh, area, but there are still some real strong dove voices in there. So, well, Cash Corey is one of those dove voices, and he yeah. he weighed in on the. Uh, balance sheet this morning saying that um, maybe the balance sheet ought to be the next thing they do, do rather than raise rates. They ought to be looking at uh, reducing the size of their of their uh, holdings of MBS and Treasuries. So, uh, uh, I can only imagine what that might have as a, a re- repercussion. So, Kashgar is one of those interesting guys. I, you know, it's very fascinating to study his life. You know, I thought about you yesterday. Joe, when I was interviewing for a upcoming podcast, Jack Guttentag. And Jack is a dear friend, 
Professor Emeritus for Wharton MBA and uh, finance, housing finance specifically. And I did an interview with him. He um, ni- just he's 93, turning 94, so you don't know how much long he's going to be with wow. us. But I did. I had more fun doing an interview. And he used to be with the New York Fed. Can you imagine graduating from college and getting a job with the New York Feds? That would be just such an amazing job. And he had a fork in the road where he said, you know, do I do want to go here or want to do academia? But we got him to talk a little bit about monetary policy. And, of course, where we're headed and the comments that he said that the education he received while at the Fed, and we're working and getting some of the Fed governors as guests. So our radio program continues oh, wow. to grow in interest. People are aware of it. And uh, we've got several people dialed in from Washington, D.C. right now, staffers that are listening to the radio program. So we're having our better voice. And, uh, and, and, and what they tell me is they listen because they get a sense of what's going on at the street. And we're a good representation, I think, of what's happening on the street. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? That is very much so. That was fun. I was thinking about you, Jack. So we, I can't wait to play that uh, podcast. We've got it edited, and we're or in the process of having it edited down, get some of the oohs and ahs and ums out, and uh, get it to if, if fit for uh, the podcast. So I'm uh, looking forward to having Jack Guttentag on a little bit later. But I thought about you when I was doing that interview because it was interesting. Man, it was interesting. So, all right, folks, we're going to move on to the program. Yeah, without a oohs and ahs. He's a little bit of a slow speaker, so he thinks very much. I would have fallen asleep in his lectures because he just needs to pick the pace up a bit. But, so we're, we're picking it up through automation, what we're doing with the, with the podcast. But it's really good stuff, and I just love the man. It's so inspirational. All right, we're gonna, folks, we're going to be moving on with the program here. I love having you on, Joe. All the things you're doing is just wonderful. Um, and your website is one of those tools that I do not understand how people operate their business and not have this. So if you want to learn how to get signed up for MBS quote line, listen to this message. We'll be right back after this brief word. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Oh, there we go. Hit that mute button. That's what happens. You get those mute buttons going. So anyway, it's good to have you back, everyone. Again, this is March 20th. Excited to have you listening in. Okay, here's some updates. Paul Mala would normally come in and give us an update. Paul is out of the office, but I'm looking at their website. Two headlines leap off the page here at me. First of all is, go check it out, imfnews.com. But he's talking about wholesale broker channel saw big gains in agency market this last year. And it's something a lot of us have seen that trend. And is it going to continue? John Brancroft has an article about that. But the article, I can't wait to get Ari Karen's update in the Hot Topics segment. He says, DOJ filing reveals Trump wants to keep the CFPB, but with a removable director. I think a lot of people are hoping to see the CFPB go, go away completely. That is a little bit of a fantasy. And uh, 
can you believe in Santa Claus and you can believe that CFPV is going to go away, but neither are reality. So we're going to be getting some updates on the Hot Topic segment. Looking forward to getting Ari's take in all of that a little bit later. But let's go over to Alice Alvey. Alice with Indicom Mortgage U, so good to have you here. It's fun seeing you at the Ellie May conference, Alice. It was really fun to, to meet the, you and your crew there. It's a lot, great group of people there at Indicom. So what you got for us? Well, I've got a few things. So, um, you know, I think in the headlines, folks are seeing that CFPB has officially hit Nation's Star for the $1.7 million. We actually got a little bit of wind of that. That was being reported a little earlier in March with their SEC filing that revealed that. So as you dive into the weeds in terms of what actually happened, uh, what we can find from actually reading the order, it really is the usual stuff that everyone needs to be watching out for within their Humda report. Uh, policies and procedures, having things reported correctly. You know, we know out in, in the land of Humda there are so many fields that are automated and we don't have to worry about, especially if the loan closes. It's usually all those unclosed loans <laughs> that really cause a problem because they don't touch as many hands. Uh, loans, whether they should be on the report or off the report, so really, whenever you see a Humda sign this large, it is a wake-up call to everyone in the industry that you really need a third party to check your data. Um, I'm not advocating that it has to be us. We certainly do that. We help with cleanup projects. There are many companies out there that do this service, but it is an absolute must that in 2006, 2017, this year, you go check 2016 and 2015 at the very least. Now, in this case, you know, it takes about a year to go through this. So the, any one of the agencies could be looking back at your 2014 data at this point um, because 2016 is so new. So I can't stress enough, you know, when you see something like this, it's a reminder to go look at your policies and procedures and have a third party come in and take a look at what's really going on um, so that you are prepared for the 2018 reporting that will have to change. So what we're all faced with is you have to be ready to go January 1st, which means you really should be testing that you can manage the changes in the reporting by June because you've got to be able to look back at your data. You've got to be able to solve challenges with your LOS provider. Um, we learned a few things from TRID, but the one thing with TRID that we don't have here is with TRID you had a little bit of a soft start. With Humda, you actually have loans in November and December that may have to show up on your 2018 report if they don't have an action taken until 2018. So you'll have to take a look at what are the new fields that these loans might be subject to. And keep in mind, you cannot report race and sex and ethnicity changes on the loans originated in 2017. You have to wait until 2018 applications before you can pick up those fields. So there's a lot of real tricky nuances especially for this year-end loan, and you want to make sure you're starting to solve that by June. So that's a heads up there on uh, my home to reminders. Um, might pick Ari's brain a little bit on his segment on some of the things that they're seeing already since he's coming on to talk about compliance. Nothing's moved yet in terms of legislation, uh, in terms of where uh, President Trump may be headed with some of the changes for CFPB. So we haven't seen any, any actual movement there beyond the executive order that came out back on February 3rd. And so those are my Headlines as of today, Dave, is just give everybody a heads up to uh, pay attention to that Humda. This is the time of year uh, that you really, after you, now that you've got the report filed from 2016, yep. let's take a look at it. 
um, and make sure you're ready for the new tool because uh, uh, hopefully the use of the new tool uh, will go smoothly for clients as well for this year's report. So lots to talk about well, on the front. You can reach us through email or phone. Not looking forward to that conversation, yes, for sure. So much to talk about. And there's so much happening, and then there's anticipation of what's going to happen. We're going to get into that. Really looking forward to your participation in the Hot Topic Dialogue on this with Ari. So, folks, we're going to be right back after a couple of words from our sponsor. Be, be sure to stay tuned. We've got Sam Garcia in the box, ready to come on with an update on what's in the headlines. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. So good to have you with us, everybody. And I'm just looking up and down the switchboard as I turn on Sam Garcia's microphone here and looking at people dialed in from all over the country. Really appreciate you making this a part of your podcast, or you this podcast, the way you're getting your information. All right, Sam, good to have you here, friend. Check out Sam's website at MortgageDaily.com. And uh, what you got for us, Sam? Hey, David, good to be on the show. Hope you're doing well and loving this great weather we're having here today. Oh, I don't know if it's like that where weather. you are, but man, it's nice. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, um, here's what we got going. We got some interesting stories that came out. Of course, you've covered some of them already with Alice, and uh, Joe, of course, mentioned them. But um, Ellie May put out its February 2017 Origination Insight Report, and in that report, um, actually, it's kind of weird, refinance share increased. But um, <laughs> at the same time, government share widened, and loan approvals got a little easier, and what happened there is uh, the average FICO score dropped two points from January to 720, so a little bit looser on the FICO scores, and the average loan to value was 79%, which was up from 78% a month earlier. So, you know, lenders taking a little bit more risk this uh, in the most recent month, uh, February, so we'll see if that continues, and I expect it will. Um, our mortgage market index, which, of course, is an indication of upcoming originations based on open-closed rate lock volume, it moved up 11% last week. Um, that was the fourth week in a row that the index has risen, and more significantly, that was the highest that uh, we've seen the index since July 2016. So business was wow. good last week. Um, always good to see increased good. business. Um, and, in Crazy. fact, uh, we yes. – yeah, and, and the Mortgage Bankers Association, um, they put out their uh, mortgage finance forecast, and they predicted that first half originations this year are expected to be $811 billion. Um, 
that's more than they expected last month in their forecast when they predicted it would be 782. So mortgage bankers are more optimistic about first half volume than they were just a month ago. Um, and it actually hit both refis and purchases. And speaking of refinances, um, yeah, the, the, uh, there were 208,700 Fannie and Freddie mortgages that were refinanced in the first month of this year. Um, that was the fewest refinances of GSE loans since August 2016. Um, that kind of contradicts some of the other metrics I just mentioned, but uh, those, that, of course, is only Fannie and Freddie loans. So. Um, moving on, uh, you know, we, we maintain a mortgage daily conference calendar. And, um, of course, we cover uh, upcoming conferences. We'll do articles about some of the ones that are coming up, uh, you know, usually every month or so. Um, but our current conference calendar has 33 mortgage-related events that are listed for this month. And when I say listed, that wow. means – Yeah, it's got uh, – it, you know, got the name of the conference, who's hosting it, where it's happening, and a link to the conference website. Um, another 22 are on the schedule for April, while there are 18 in the following month. So that's like 70 during the three-month period. A lot of events going on during this period. Yeah. Um, some of the topics that, uh, are covered based on just our last coverage of this. And, and when we do a story, we also try to include the price of uh, – you know, whatever the event is. Um, some of them that are coming up include uh, reverse mortgages, uh, mortgage leads, and mortgage servicing rights. There's a mortgage servicing right forum coming up. Um, over at Radiant Guarantee, they announced last week that they were going to expand uh, their guidelines, and among uh, the updates are guidelines on jumbo mortgages up to $1 million. Um, what they've done is they've increased the uh, loan-to-value ratio they'll accept on those jumbos, and they lowered the FICO scores that are required. So easing up, uh, kind of reminds it's funny when you, you see this happening because after or around the time of the crisis, we just saw those mortgage insurance guidelines be tightening every week. You know, something, some state they went London and some program they were dropping. But we're seeing you know the opposite now, just constantly uh, expanding and. Uh, what was kind of interesting in this last rating announcement, Radian announcement, was that uh, they said they'll now insure AIG's Connective Jumbo program under their non-agency jumbo offering. And, of course, um, that product is offered by AIG Investments, a subsidiary of American International Group and the former parent of United Guarantee. So I wonder if they're picking up a program that may be uh, taking advantage of a situation where United Guarantee has just been sold, of course. So. Right. Um, there was an announcement last week from the law firm of Co Cohen, Milstein, Sellers, and Toll, and that indicated that there was a $165 million settlement reach uh, related to mortgage-backed securities. Uh, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit are pension funds with the New Jersey Carpenters Health Fund as the lead plaintiff. Um, at issue are the loans that were originated by Novastar, and also named in defendants in that lawsuit were the Royal Bank of Scotland, Wells Fargo, and Deutsche Bank. So we're still seeing some fallout from uh, mortgage-backed securities and you know uh, entities, institutions that took hits uh, because of bad ratings and uh, they what they claim you know were uh, being misled on the quality of those loans that were back in those mortgage-backed securities. Um, one other thing I wanted to cover, and it's significant because we're doing our mortgage employment index uh, in the next week. And you're going to see some uh, numbers about what's happening as far as layoffs. And there haven't been really many lately, that's for sure. Um, we haven't seen any big rounds lately. But Bank of California, um, they're laying off um, 139 people. Um, and, what, of course, Bank of California is the company that recently announced that it was going to sell its mortgage business entirely. Yeah, over. Uh, 
Yep. Yeah, so um, so now we're seeing some of the fallout, even though uh, there'll be some employees that are picked up by uh, Caliber, which is buying that business. But uh, so that was uh, that's about one of the probably the biggest uh, round of layoffs we've seen recently. And uh, PHA has had a few so far, but not a whole lot uh, versus, you know, <laughs> what's going on over at PHH. But uh, those are some of the, the biggest headlines that we had over the last week. Um, of course, a lot of stuff happened, but uh, that's the stuff that people were most Why? interested in. Yeah, I love the fact that you have the data that you have, Sam. It's really good stuff, uh, good information. I encourage people to check out your website. They can do so by going to MortgageDaily.com or give you a call at 214-521-1300, 214-521-1300, or email Sam at Sam Garcia. all run together, at MortgageDaily.com. Dot com. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention real quick, too, that we, we've got yeah. our big uh, biggest lenders uh, report coming out very shortly, too, and that's always interesting to see who's at the top of the list because uh, there's been some changes. We've seen shifts going back and forth, so we'll have that out soon, and I'll be talking, that on a, uh, talking about that on one of your upcoming shows. Good. Looking forward to that. That's real interesting. Um, I interviewed Jonathan Kaur, uh late last week, on Friday, Friday afternoon, the uh, president chairman of... Um, uh, see, present CEO, excuse me, of uh, you know, Ellie Mae. Ellie Mae, really yeah, right. Interview. Yeah, I mean, the culture that's at that company, it, it really uh, is something I'm just so impressed about. So uh, they got some great data as well, and I know you pull on a lot of that. So great. Good job, Sam, all the way around. Appreciate you being here and look forward to having you back next week. Go out and enjoy Thank you for having me, sir. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Folks, I look at what we have to cover here, and it's just so much, but we always take time for our sponsors. They are so valuable. And we now have Shawnee uh, Huddendale, who is with ArchMI. We're going to have her talk briefly about the RateStar program. We'll be right back after this brief break. Thanks, David. ArchMI is proud to be a sponsor for the show. We're even prouder that ArchMI and United Guarantee are now one company. For LOs, this means a stronger MI partner with more solutions, more innovation, and more customer support. Together is better. There is no question, together is better, and they had their big sales meeting last week. It was really fun to see what they what they had going on there. So let's get over to the Profit Doctor. So good to have Andy Shell joining us today. It's not always possible because of his busy schedule, but it's good to have you here, friend. So, Andy, Hi, I thought Dave. about you this weekend. I thought about oh. you. You were on my mind as I'm sitting here pulling together all the information to send off to my CPA to do that project. And interesting, everyone I talked to, we had one, two things in common. We were all watching March Madness, some of the amazing basketball uh, that was being played this weekend, and we were all working on our taxes. So it's, I don't know if it was the weekend or what, but it was tough to do with all the beautiful weather we had outside. But that was a common denominator. And I'm wondering, Andy, if you have any words of wisdom when it comes to those companies that struggle with preparation on their financials and their taxes and all that. You got something there, Profit Doctor? You bet, Dave. Well, there's two things. One, there's the company side of it, which is the the corporate tax filing, which was actually due last week, so you're already late. So the, the corporate tax filing, the 1120, 1120S, is, is passed. So now we're coming up on the 1040 filing, the individual filing deadline, which is April the 15th coming up. So we all got to get out that shoebox of receipts. Or <laughs> if they're smart like you, Dave, they take pictures of every receipt every time they yes. send a deductible <laughs> item and store it in yep. that cool little app you've got. So that's really awesome. Yeah. But the scary it thing that happens works. is, you know, 
Yeah, it does. I don't know if you want to tell them what that app is, but you got a cool well, app for that. It's TurboScan. Since you brought it up, it's TurboScan. It's one that I do, and I take a picture of it. Of every receipt I ever have, send it off to my account, she ended in or my bookkeeper, she inputs it and uh, goes from there. So it's all in there. So yeah, stay on top of this stuff, Andy. So but you were starting to say, yeah. Well, and in your case, so you you got your every receipt copy, and you're ready for the deductible items versus the non-deductible items. And of course, Nancy goes through all the non-deductible items and goes, well, "What's this?" <laughs> so um, you're right. <laughs> yes. So, yes, so you yes, got all your right. stuff. Yes. You got your W2s, your 1098s. That's interest, or you received 1099s. That's interest you paid. Or you may have 1099s for other things. You got your receipts from your donations to Goodwill, and you load it all up into TurboTax, and it's a whoops. What the heck? You have to pay more. <laughs> it's, it's a red number, yeah. not a green number. You're not getting more. You have to pay more. So you know, it, we want to we want to plan a little bit more. So it's that unexpected 1099 that came along, or. Or, or you have joint income that pushed it up a bit, and or there's a cap on the deduction you thought you could deduct, but you can't because you, you made too much and it limits it. So th- this year, as you pay more, we want to think about how to plan for next year so we pay less. So it's planning. It's planning ahead. So as you're paying more now, start planning now so you pay less next year. And some of those basics are, you know, it's just if you have a joint income, don't fill out the paperwork at the payroll department of your company and, and each a husband and wife select one deduction. That that's not gonna be good enough. You gotta get your tax return, calculate your joint effective tax rate and apply that to each of you separately, or you're still not gonna have enough taken out next year. So you gotta do that. The other thing to do is have more deductions, and you could be that you have deductions, but you can't find the receipts, so be sure and capture the receipts. Be like Dave does. Take take copies of stuff, and then be aware of the caps, and there's caps around things like passive activity, and there's passive, there's uh, uh, alternative minimum tax, and there's, there's all kinds of funky rules out there that TurboTax does a pretty good job at identifying, but but the key when you're doing your tax planning is to get a qualified CPA tax advisor yes. to help. And, and I don't mean just a CPA like Joe and me who know mortgage banking. So if you're going to deal with with mortgage banking, you better get a CPA who knows mortgage banking, not just any CPA. Same thing with taxes. Don't just get any CPA. Get a CPA tax expert to help you sort through the next steps. And there you go, Dave, with the disclaimer that I'm not a tax expert. But get someone who is and figure this out so you're not surprised next year and there's no more whoops next time you load yep. the data into TurboTax. But you are the profit doctor. You may not be a tax expert, but you know a lot about it. And you teach accounts how to audit mortgage banking companies. So I'm telling you, folks, if you're looking for – you can go to the teacher who's influencing and passing on all the knowledge, or you can go to the students. I don't know where you want to go, but I want to talk to the <laughs> teachers telling everybody how to audit companies. Great job, Andy. Appreciate you taking a few minutes to be here with us. Really do appreciate it. I'm looking forward my to pleasure. having you participate in the Hot Topic segment here, my friend. And also, by the way, I was going to say, I just found out this year is the first year that uh, – that LLCs had to file on the 15th. Normally, LLCs got to you know file on the on the 
April 15th and not March 15th. So that was a new change. I didn't realize that. So well, two things real quick on that point, Dave. So LLCs, yeah. if, if it's a single member of LLCs, its defaulted tax rate is a sole proprietor. If it's a multi-member right. LLC without any other condition, it's a 1065. If you adopt federal, if you drop C corp rates with an S corp election, then an LLC is an 1120S, and that's March 15th. So it's not all, all LLCs can be three different things depending on the structure wow. of the elections. Just to be See, there clear, there you go. Just to, just to be clear, which means you brought all that up, people are going to have to go back and listen to it, which is a good thing. I encourage people to do that. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Andy, for being Thanks, here with, with us. We're going to run over for the KPI of the week. We have our friends at Motivity always giving us the latest on that. And so here is John Maynell, who's Vice President of Customer Service there at um, Motivity Solutions. And we'll be right back after we hear the KPI of the week. John? Thanks very much, Dave. Always great to be here. And this week's key performance indicator focuses on one of Alice's favorite topics, namely the underwriting process. And the KPI is submitted to initial decision. This is generally measured in hours, and you can either use this to measure an entire department's average turn time or even individual underwriters. Very effective if you're using balanced multi-metric scorecards to fine-tune the behaviors of individual staff members. This measurement can also guide an organization to areas upstream from underwriting that contribute to this initial cycle time, like processing, setup, or even sales, to help ensure that people in those areas produce complete and accurate files that make the absolute best use of the underwriter's time. So the broad scope makes this a very powerful metric and shows yet again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you again and turn it back to you. I like that phrase, what gets measured gets results. What are you measuring, folks? Get a hold of Motivity Solutions, get their dashboard set up. Well, it is a great honor to invite a good friend and someone I have uh, had the privilege of really getting to know. He's now even become a client of mine, and I just really value the friendship and relationship with Ari Karen. He is an experienced litigator who represents financial institutions both in government, investigations, and litigations before state and federal trials, as well as at appellate courts nationwide. His practice as is diverse, representing clients on matters concerning mortgage banking, regulations, Dodd-Frank, reform laws, contractual disputes, employment, and on and on and on. He is a principal at Offit Kerman Lawsuit, but he's also CEO of Strategic Compliance Partners, a really innovative tool for helping you manage more cost-effectively and yet more thoroughly your mortgage compliance items. So, Ari, so good to have you here, friend. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it, it you know it, it's always fun. I enjoy our conversations. We are so wired so similarly in so many ways. We we're both going with our hair on fire so many times. But you're just a wealth of wisdom, and we're excited to have you sharing it here with us. Let's talk about some of the timing uh, of that is expected related to reforms. A lot of lenders in the industry are expecting reforms. They just assume, well, we got a major change in the administration, House and Senate, and that's going to just bring about all these changes. And I want you to give us your perspective on what is realistic about what will happen and the timing of what will happen. Okay, well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, um, I wouldn't expect anything to even start until summer. Uh, I've obviously been watching this very closely, 
and um, uh, you know dealing with various connections we have at various uh, Senate offices, and um, it was originally slated as something that was going to be happening right about now. That was sort of what we were told, and then healthcare sort of got put on the on the front burner, um, and now I think it's what I'm hearing is summer, and frankly. I'm even a little bit not sure if it's going to happen this summer, so it might get pressed to fall. Um, if you know anything about Congress, with the breaks they have in the summer and, and various things going on, um, a lot of times things get held over to the to, to fall. So I think it, it's certainly at least uh, – or at the earliest going to be the summer. It could very well become the fall before we we'll even really get started with it. And remember, starting it is getting into the various subcommittees and then getting through the subcommittees. None of that's even started yet. We don't even have the initial bills from Henserling's office released. So um, I, I think you know the beginning of this process will be summer fall. Yeah, you bring up Henserling. Is that the office that we should be paying the most, the closest attention to? What will be coming uh, of any changes and reforms that will be coming from? Yes, I think so. I mean, he he um, was one of the primary architects of the Financial Choice Act, which is what Trump is going to be utilizing. Um, uh, it appears, at least, again, this is all secondhand information. Uh, he'll be utilizing that as the uh, roadmap, so to speak, for the Republican reform and the Trump reforms. Now, that is going to look different than it had in the past. Um, uh, so, if you wanted to see what it looked like when the Republicans put it out last year, it, it is going to look different from that. My understanding um, is that uh, from from various people is there's going to be a, a focus on UDAP. Um, there's going to be a focus on changing um, potentially potentially changing it to a commission, um, things like that. So, I think um, there and then obviously a lot of the the things like Volcker rules and the capitalization requirements, banks too big to fail. I think those are going to be a lot of the areas. Um, I don't know, and we'll get into a little, this a little bit more, um, but I don't know necessarily that we're going to see, you know, to kind of echo a point you made earlier about Santa Claus, um, I, I think yeah. there's a better chance <laughs> of seeing Santa Claus than, than um, you know, seeing yeah. the, the end of the CFPB. I, I, I'd, I'd bet on Santa Claus personally. Yeah, seeing Santa Claus before the end of the year. I would agree. Let's talk about the PHH case and the effect that that has. And while, by the way, while we're going through this, Alice and Andy and Joe, if you guys want to jump in at any point in time and insert a question here, please feel free to do so. All right, so CFPP, I mean, PHH case, any effect on all of this? Well, I mean, part of thing. Yeah, I think it is going to have an effect because we could, you know, what you can't do through legislation, you could, in fact, sometimes do through regulation. Um, you know, a lot of the, what the CFP does, and, and frankly, a lot of concerns that um, the, the Republicans had as, as embodied in the Financial Choice Act and that Trump has talked about and his administration have talked about, um, are things that could potentially be changed with leadership at the CFPB. I mean, if you go around, uh, and, and, and David, I know you have to, to various um, uh, banks in the country and you talk to, to leaders of these institutions, you know, a lot of what people say quietly and silently is that the biggest problem they have with the CFPB is the fact you just don't know the rules and or that the rules can change at a moment's notice, this whole regulation through enforcement. Um, now that can be handled legislatively to some extent. It could also be happened with happy. It can also happen with the change in the leadership of the CFPB. And that's where the PHH comes in, because if PHH was determined in such a fashion that that um, the CFPB's leadership could be changed at pretty much the whim of the president, which is what you know the court 
before it was um, uh, taken and banked, the court had essentially ruled that, then some of these changes could almost have immediate effect. However, that's obviously now all on the back burner because of the decision to hold the, the, the hearing or, or hold, uh, um, review the case and bank, meaning the full court hears it. And what that means is ultimately this original opinion we had is effectively you know, non-existent. It didn't, it didn't really happen right now. So we're really back to the beginning where we were with the, with the, with the decision prior to the circuit court um, determining that, that – um, you know, the CFPB was, was unconstitutional. That's sort of all gone right now, and we're waiting to hear what happens. The other thing that's interesting here is that the court could sidestep the whole issue. So in other words, the, the court unbanked could just decide, hey, we're not even going to deal with the constitutional issue. We'll decide RESPA and nothing else, and that would leave us basically in the shadows uh, trying to figure out what this all means about the CFPB's constitutionality. Um, you know, DOJ just got uh, just jumped into this. Um, you know, right. so that that could affect it too. Um, but but um, I think when well, you let's look go at there the for a minute, of it, yeah. I mean, well, go ahead, you sorry. were just quoted. The, you were just quoted in the New York Times concerning the Department of Justice's actions on the PHH case. Can you explain what happened and why this is so significant? Well, first of all, I mean, look, I'm not going to be. I'm not a. I'm not a government historian scholar. But to have the Justice Department advocating on behalf of a private litigant against another government agency, I've certainly never seen that. I don't think it's a very frequent thing that happens. But that's what occurs, that's right? Unusual, we're living in a, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're living in a very interesting time, right? Um, so, so that happened. That, that in and of itself is very unusual. But the other thing is what it signifies. I mean, think about this. A lot of times. You know, representing clients, a lot. Of, you know, you're scared when, when, or you're worried necessarily when the CFPB gets involved and you're litigating with them. Then DOJ joins the party, right? That's not a that's not a good day for your client when the Department of Justice gets involved. And what you right. really, and, and so it's a huge leverage point the CFPB brings. You know, sort of like my big brother is going to come and, and beat you up, sort of stuff, right? Um, what what you see now is the the very distinct possibility given that they're actually infighting, what happens when there's a fair lending case and they run over, uh, CFP becomes over and says, hey, DOJ, we want you to bring this. It's a redlining case. But maybe DOJ's priorities are not to pursue that. Or yeah, if it's a leader. False Claims yeah. Act, right? If it's a case under the False Claims Act where, where DOJ primarily handles those. And DOJ says, yeah, not so interested anymore. I mean, I can't tell you it's going to happen, but certainly there's dissension in the ranks, and you could see the ability of the Trump administration, even if they don't succeed in being able to change Cordura right away, you could easily see where they could essentially utilize the Department of Justice by, by sitting on its hands to undermine the, CF, the, the CFPB's agenda, again, even if they can't change Trump. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm going to toss the mic over to Andy Shell. He has uh, uh, some a question, a specific angle to go at. So, Andy? Hey, Ari. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I love the analogy. We're, we're more likely to see Santa Claus than see anything substantial happening <laughs> at the CFPB, if I understood you correctly. And that's a great point. So what I'm wondering about, and, and you're a tactician. I can tell by hearing you discuss this that it's like, well, this could happen, that could happen, this could happen. All these permutations. That, so I'm wondering, can you can you identify anything specific that might? I know it's just your best guess, and that's good enough for me. But of all this long list of stuff, what's one or two things that you think might actually get addressed that affects mortgage lenders? 
Okay, sure. And just to be clear, um, I, you know, I, I was saying getting rid of the CFPB Santa Claus. I think there could be some pretty substantial things happening at the CFPB. Um, how many of those things will affect lenders? You know, I think maybe my answer to your question will will be better um, suited to do that. To 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 do that. So, you know, what I think really could change. Um, I do think that that there is a huge focus on addressing the ambiguity of the whole unfair, deceptive, abusive acts and practices, right? I, I mean, right now, it's, no, it's almost like the definition of pornography. You know it when you see it, and, and even that's probably more specific <laughs> than, you know. I love that I, analogy. CFPB, it's so true. Yeah, and I think the CFPBs is a step further. Um, we'll tell you when we see it, not just we know it. We'll, we'll tell you later, right, when, after we see it, what it is. Um, so, so I think that there's that aspect of it, which has drawn the ire, I think, of both politicians. It's drawn the ire of the Small Business Administration. I mean, a lot of people have issues with it. And so I think that's certainly one area that could um, be refined so that, so that lenders will have a much better idea of what they can and can't do and, and what the boundaries are. So I think that's one area that's going to come under focus. Um, that I is do also, awesome. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to well, that, 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 that's awesome. UDAP is one of – I mean, Alice wakes up in the middle of the night talking about UDAP, I hear. So I don't know if she wants to opine in here now. <laughs> yeah, but, I was going to say jump, <laughs> jump in, Alice. one of her favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, I, I wouldn't say uh, – well, it would wake me up in the middle of the night for some of our customers, that's for sure. But um, so UDAP is very interesting. I completely agree with you that we don't have a, a very bright lines on it. Um, but I actually had a question teed up. Can I change the subject to RESPA? Because I noticed you all published a survey that you wanted lenders to take because RESPA has been a new hot topic in terms of, um, you know, is paying Zillow a violation of RESPA? And really you have the whole social media and shared marketing that's taken on a new dynamic uh, in the industry with all the Internet resources. So um, can we jump gears here and get the latest on your thoughts on the RESPA risks today and if Zillow's a risk? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you, you know, I think I think what happens. Look, you know, anytime you're engaged in co-marketing, there's risk, right? Because, like anything, one of the analogies um, you know I, I use is driving a car. You know, if you don't know how to drive a car and if you drive a car recklessly, then yes, it can be a very dangerous weapon. Um, driven properly, then you know, no, you should be able to get to A to B pretty safely. So, so I think co-marketing is a little bit like that. Yeah, you can do it wrong. There are a million ways to do it wrong, and I've seen a lot of them. So probably have you. Um, uh, you know, and, I'm, and I won't necessarily spend our, our precious moments here going into all the things you could do wrong with it. But the real issue I had is that people were coming out saying that per se, because you use Zillow, you're violating the law, and as a result, you're going to get a call from the CFPB or some other agency. And I don't think that that's true. Um, uh, you know, I've I've certainly been involved and seen investigations where there is involvement of social media with it, um, maybe Zillow and other sites. Um, and I think what people are doing is they're drawing conclusions from that when they see potentially CIDs that mention these things. You know, I think a conclusion is being reached that oh, Zillow's the target. Zillow may or may not be the target there, I think, but it's also highly possible that Z Zillow was a vehicle in which another target was engaged and how they utilized it. So I think people are sort of taking that jump and saying that, well, because Zillow, hence it means uh, Zillow is a target of the CFPB, um, I, I, or, or even worse, you know, that 
because you use Zillow, it's, it's a violation. You know, in theory, and I don't know whether Zillow is or isn't a target, but that is distinct from the issue of if you use it, you violated um, uh, RESPA. And I think people are t- taking a jump there from one thing to the next um, when that's not necessarily appropriate. As we all know, you could be utilizing a resource, utilize it wrong, something the resource could be doing separate and apart from you could be wrong. Um, that doesn't mean because you use it, you violated RESPA. And I, and I think that if you were to draw the conclusion that by engaging in co-marketing through Zillow automatically you're violating RESPA, that essentially puts everything you do with respect to co-marketing at risk and can you co-market at all. And, and I think that's fairly a settled issue that you can co-market with realtors. So I, I think people are just really jumping, um, taking, a couple, taking this a couple steps too far in their conclusion. Does that make sense? It does, you know, because uh, I think the challenge is always for any lender is, am I actually paying for a referral, right? Am I, right. Or am I exchanging a thing of value and I'm not getting a service in return? Or am I paying too much for that? And so, yeah, they, they I, I think it's a great idea for people, if you do have co-marketing, to talk to an attorney because it's a balance of risk. I've, I've had some customers that say, Zero risk. I don't want to be on their radar, so I'm not going to do it. But on the other hand, they may be missing a marketing opportunity. Um, so that, it's worth exactly checking right. your ideas through with an attorney for sure. Yeah, and I mean, again, I've seen you know people work through Zillow where they do it in such a way that you kind of, you know, you take a look at it and say, yeah, this is this is about as clean as it gets. You know, and I've also seen scenarios where people use Zillow and it's not clean at all. Um, that isn't Zillow's fault necessarily. It's it's how you use it. And then that was sort of my analogy with the car. Great, good, great analogy. Joe, you want to jump in on this? Uh, at this point, do you have any questions or do you want to jump in a little bit later? Sure. No, I'd, I'd, I'd go ahead and ask because uh, small lenders have really complained and rightfully so about the cost of implementing all the regulatory reforms. All, yeah. uh, and and it's just such a burden on them. Do you see anything coming, coming down the pipe that would provide some relief to small lenders? See, I understand there are various legislative um, bills out there that have either been thrown out there or discussed about, you know, helping, quote, unquote, Main Street. Um, I'm a little bit dubious whether those are going to actually um, get any traction because, number one, you've got to remember, I mean, let's just talk politics now, right? He with the money is generally in a better position to start with. Well, the large banks have a lot of money and influence. Nothing against them. It's just a truth. And the smaller institutions have yet to really coalesce into a formidable body, right? So that already creates some question of are they going to get a benefit at the table uh, to the the, uh, burden, so to speak, of the larger banks? Um, That that one question practically is one that that I'm kind of asking, and I think we can figure out the answer there. But the other thing is think about how it would affect the secondary market. If I have a whole list of regulations here that the big banks have to follow, but the small banks don't, what happens to the value of those loans on the secondary market? I mean, this might be a be careful about what, what you wish for situation, right? Because mm-hmm. I got to think that that would affect the ratings. If it affects the ratings, it affects the pricing, right? You could see where that could go down downstream. So I think it creates a lot of problems potentially, and, and there may be ones the, that the community banks don't necessarily want, um, especially because I think that, you know, the, sort of another part of my thinking, this is again just me speaking here, um, is, is that. You know, a lot of these regulations, what if you take them all away, right? What if you got a whole small banks that doesn't affect it? And let's say Trump doesn't win again, and it's somebody, you know, on the other side of the, and the pendulum swings back. Well, now we have to 
first we have to undo all these things, right? That's going to cost money. And then three or four years from now, we're going to have to redo them again. Like that isn't necessarily a good thing. Wouldn't it be better, I'm simply again asking this question, to take what we have, maybe tweak it, you know, have some changes to the comp rules so that, you know, maybe you don't have to get dinged when your loan officer makes a mistake, things like that, things that are really driving people crazy and get those fixed now and just accept the regulatory scheme. Long term, that could theoretically be a whole lot better than, you know, than kind of going with the tide of this, this is the way it's now and four years it's going to change and four years back and you keep spending money changing and changing and changing. Maybe adopt a livable, workable situation um, that, that has a long-term, uh, you know, a long-term um, consistency. When you look at some of the changes that are there and both are what are possible, would you pro- what is going to provide significant relief? I mean, that you really think is we can anticipate. And again, coming back to the when can we anticipate that? You touched on that, but I'd like to see if you could go a little more in depth on that. Sure. Well, I think things like UDAP. I think things like change. I mean, certainly by 18, what's the you know one way or the other, Cordery's done in 2018. Um, and I, unless Trump decides to appoint him again, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's a big limb, yeah. That, you're you're know, out of the limb that with that I'm, one. <laughs> I'm a risk taker. Um, but but the, the so, so, I mean, assuming that happens right there, you know, the stuff like with that, that happened with PHH, you know, one day yeah. it's a $6 million fine, the next day it's $109 million because I said so, right? That sort of arbitrariness, which I think creates a lot of just a huge amount of risk for lenders right. that they really can't even um, uh, calculate, which is a big problem. Um, that really increases the cost of compliance, and, and um, uh, I think that's a big change we could see, and kind of UDAP is going along with that. So I think there are certain changes there we could see. Um, I also think that, you know, with the idea that, and, and again, no big secret here, that you know, GSC reform is going to happen eventually, um, yeah. a big part of that is going to be the privatization of capital. We still have you guys probably know the statistics better than I do, but I know the vast majority of loans are, are still have GSC involvement. So I think that's something that everybody's wanted to change for some time. I think you could see some adjustment maybe to the ATR rules to try to um, invigorate the, the, the um, infusion of private capital and become less reliant on Fannie Freddie. So I think those are areas we could see. Um, uh, you know, th- those are kind of the main areas I see things happen. I don't see stuff like come to changing. I don't see the LO comp yep. rules changing. I don't think anybody would even would want to think about changing back on TRID. That would be, you know, probably the worst thing anybody would want at this point. So, yeah. so those are sort of the areas where I see changes. Um, I, I think there's also potentially changes that come down the road in terms of privacy laws where, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, um, you know, maybe more federal regulation is actually better here so that we could have consistency, wow. you know, f- from, from clients that have issues with privacy. The problem is you have a patchwork of laws that are different in every state and your response is different oh, in every see. state. Yeah. You know, having something that's consistent that says, hey, if we have a breach, this is what happens instead yes, of that, that getting 50 sense. different answers, that would probably be yep. very helpful to industry. So I've heard some things like that being rumored. Are you thoughts about the CFPB becoming a commission versus the bureau that it is? And chances of that real quickly? Um, you know, it, it, it almost makes too much sense to actually go right. You know, <laughs> so, so the, I mean, you think about this. Remember when, when this whole started, this whole idea started with Elizabeth Warren, she wanted it to be a commission. Last year, the Republicans put in the Financial Choice Act. They wanted it to be a commission. 
Now, the Democrats really haven't been clear about it, but I haven't seen any opposition from that. Um, they, well, actually, they have said now it's, it's not right because it would undermine the authority of the CFPB. Um, now, obviously, the Republicans, knowing that in 2018 they're going to get the chance to put their guy in there, um, you know, so they're not a champion of it. But, I mean, when you think about it long term, it makes sense for both parties. Everybody could claim a victory, right? And, and if you think about it, they've got to have a long-term view, knowing that it won't always be their guy. So at least we could have some consistency instead of these broad swings. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I know both sides have at different times thought it made a lot of sense. So um, for them to not be able to agree on that would seem strange. I think if they don't, yeah. it'll be because they don't agree on something else. Such I said, as looking the at the much, Yeah, I'm, there's so the clock when we do these interviews just runs so quickly. I want to go over to the digital mortgage, get your thoughts on that. Do you think any regulatory changes will impact the digital mortgage? There seems to be a lot. There's been so much momentum in that direction. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think there's going to be changes, but I think it could invigorate that. I mean, to the extent that you have more clarity, I think one thing that holds back the digital mortgage is when you ask about the compliance sides of it. And because, again, we have this ambiguity of rules and things like that, and, and really a, there's been um, so far a, a disinclination to really provide guidance um, in, in types of new products and things of that fashion. Uh, I think this could be, um, especially once we can get some clarity on who's kind of in charge at the CFPB long term, um, that could really invigorate this because we were given some standards and some, some rules and UDAP was a little more clearly defined. You could, you could drive the compliance around this a little bit more um, such that you right. could have a, a meaningful and safer product. I think that's one of the things that's, that's kept out of it. Because again, you know, the digital mortgage I see the future of, just so, and I know we got to go, but um, I, I just see it as a broader tool than, you know, insert these numbers and be done. You know, if you can have educational aspects of it, you, you could even foresee, uh, I think, you know, uh, potentially legislation down the road that said if you follow this kind of process that could almost oversee it from a technology standpoint, maybe it could be sort of a third-party oversight that would take away and, and provide almost a, another level of qualified mortgage to it. In other words, you do these things, then you can't have these defenses down the road. I, I really see the ability of technology to do that down the road. Um, but again, that's going to require some type of legislative and or regulatory action, and you know, maybe that's in the future. Well, you're a good attorney, but you also are CEO of uh, uh, Strategic Compliance Partners. Talk briefly about that. Tell our listeners what that's about and uh, why they should may want to check out the website and explore that as a service. Great. Well, thank you. Um, uh, SCP is essentially uh, an arm of compliance that works with your comp current compliance staff in whatever facet it needs, whether it's um, you're, you're a company that needs a compliance officer and has nothing we can provide on site, or it's somebody who has a very um, diverse uh, process that, that um, just needs some sort of oversight and, and uh, assistance kind of at a very high level. Because we have teams of attorneys, and these attorneys provide compliance support all day, dealing with regulators across the country, right. and we really see trends in a very broad way that your typical compliance department um, won't see when they're working day in and day out in one location. Um, and so providing that from, again, ranging from putting people on site to just providing outside services, the other critical thing we do is at a fixed price budget. So you'll know every single month, no matter how much you use us, 
exactly what it's going to cost. It's not your typical consulting firm where you get a bill every month and you don't know what next month is going to bring. Um, when we tell you right. this is what the budget's going to be, it's going to be that every single yeah. day, uh, every single every single week and month. And so um, it provides you fixed services at a fixed price, which I think is uh, unique in the industry. And I think it fits really nicely alongside of what Alice is doing. So I, I love this service. It's really good. The more I look at it, I encourage you listeners to check out Strategic Compliance Partners, uh, their website, and um, look for it. It's, it's, a, it's a very innovative tool, and I applaud you for what you're doing there. All right, thanks so much for taking time out of your very busy day. I know how hard it is to get a hold of you, and, uh, but it, it's just been a joy to have you on the, on the program today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm honored. We've had as our guest Ari Karen, who is uh, an attorney with uh, Offit Kerman, one of the principals there, is also CEO of Strategic Compliance Partners, and uh, does a lot in the area of compliance, and a great friend and someone who could be a valuable resource. Encourage you to get a hold of him. All right, what is the best way for people to reach you? Is it uh, email, cell phone, what, or uh, phone number? What, what do you recommend? Email is probably best, my email address. Um, do you want me to give it, or I don't know if it's on the yes, site please. already? Okay, so yeah, go A. put Karen. it up. It's on the site, but go ahead and do that. Oh, yeah, give it. Okay, so a Karen at offitkerman dot com, and that's spelled um, well, a k a r e n at o f f i t k u r m a n dot com. I just realized it's not up on the website, but we will go back and edit it and get it up there. Thank you, Ari, so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, folks. For having we're me. looking. It's a pleasure. Next week, we're going to be broadcasting live from the D&H booth at the MBA Technology Conference and Expo. Look forward to seeing you there. If, you're at, if you are at the conference, swing by the booth. We'd love to sit and visit with you and have you uh, come on, grab a hold of the mic. Let's talk for a few minutes. Good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week.